I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as I go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Today on the Executives Exchange, we're joined by Lou Rassi, co-founder and CEO of Fast Radius. Lou discusses how this third-generation manufacturer is leading the company that the World Economic Forum has recognized as one of the world's most innovative factories. Lou shares how the company embraces the microfactory model and the promise of on-demand manufacturing when and where you need it, powered by the cloud. Tune in to learn about Fast Radius's rapid growth, the potential of Industry 4.0, and more. Hi, good morning, Lou. Good morning. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. We have a lot to talk about today, so I will get right into it. So let's just start from the beginning, because that's always a good place to start. I know that you were born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, which is known historically as a great Midwest hub for manufacturing. And from what I hear, manufacturing is in your blood. So talk to me about your family roots in Detroit and how this has shaped you from a very young age. Yeah, I'm a third generation manufacturing guy. My grandfather started a machine shop when he was very young. He had a passion for racing and realized that that he uh, had the ability to uh, imagine parts and, and then fabricate them and built a reputation in the area as someone who could make parts for others. And Next thing you knew, he created a, a small business making precision parts for the auto industry. My father and my uncle jumped in and helped to build that business. And and uh, my father is still running it today, in fact, making precision parts for the auto industry. Uh, that's where I grew up. And so when I was a kid, uh, my school was just a few blocks away from the shop. And I would do my homework at a drafting table in my dad's office. And I was inspired by this ability for people to imagine something, design it, and then bring it to the world to help people. And just the, the beauty and the importance of, of that work. And that got me off and into my career. Was there any pressure to get into the family business? No, no, no pressure. I think I was always inspired by it. Um, I think... Uh, but no pressure. No pressure. My dad was a mechanic and there was a lot of pressure for my brother to do it. So he went into aviation, you know, kind of tangentially related. But I know sometimes when you have like a grandparent or a parent that put all this, you know, life and blood into this, you know, business, sometimes there's some pressure to take it over. So that's good. I think I am very blessed to have had a a mother and a father who uh, provided these sparks of inspiration and and uh, support for me to, to carve my own path. But but it, it really made an impact uh, in yeah. all the time that I spent there, for, for sure. I don't know that everyone knows. So Detroit-style pizza, from what I hear, it's the trays that they put the parts into, right? Sorry, say that one more time. Detroit-style pizza, it's yeah. the trays that they would put the parts into on the assembly line. They were just these trays <laughs> that they would carry the parts back and forth and that that became the pan for the pizza. I actually did not realize that was the origin story of Detroit-style pizza, but I love it. Uh, What a wonderful story. I know. So that's why it's the size and shape that it is. It's just these, um, those are are the trays and that's what they used. Uh, I'll never look at a pizza the same way again. You'll never look at the same again. I don't know, maybe Fast Radius needs to get into the pizza business. (laughs) (laughs) So you went off, you ultimately got both an MBA and master's in mechanical engineering from MIT. No small feat for sure. And so at that time, I know you were inspired, but what were you planning on doing? What was the vision at that time? 
So I started my career from undergrad uh, working with Chrysler and then a joint venture with Chrysler and BMW. And I was fortunate to work across the experience of designing a product, making a product, uh, designing and launching a factory. And, and it really continued my excitement for driving innovation in the physical world. So what were some of the things you worked on while you were at Chrysler? Uh, one of the projects was a joint venture between Chrysler and BMW to design a new family of engines and uh, to design and launch a factory down in Brazil to, to make them. I had the good fortune of working both in the product development and then going down to Brazil for a couple of years to help launch the factory. Uh, a, a wonderful experience and, and uh, uh, so many lessons as I think about what does it take to design a new product from scratch and then to design mm-hmm. and launch a, a new factory to, to supply the world. So, so much of your early start was in automobile. Are you a car guy? I am an enthusiast for sure. And, and also my grandfather way back in the day helped to, to design and, and put cars in the Indianapolis 500. And, and so growing up, I heard stories about, about those adventures and experiences and the struggles and challenges, but also the excitement uh, that, that comes from it. So I, I, I do uh, love the industry and certainly it's a part of my roots. Yeah. Um, I was saying before that my dad's a mechanic. And so we always had the worst running cars in the neighborhood because the last thing he wanted to do was come and fix one of his kids' cars. But the beauty of it was we always had a car in high school because people would bring in their car and, you know, this was back in the seventies and eighties and whatever it was to fix it, a few hundred dollars. And someone would say, it's not even worth that much. And my dad like, well, I'll just, you know, pay you this much for it. And so there'd always be some barely working car in our driveway, but so great for like working class kids to always have a car in high school. It was pretty fantastic. It, it speaks to, I think, something so beautiful about this industry, which is we can make physical things that can drive an impact in the communities that we're in. And if that's fixing a car and allowing a neighbor to, to, to then get back on the road. It's, it's, uh, and I think uh, now as we enter this, this new industrial age, one of the big benefits is how empowering these technologies can be if we can make them accessible to people. I think we've seen in, uh, in the digital age over the last 20 years, how cloud computing as an example has democratized access to compute power. And it has allowed anyone with a laptop or, or a browser to, mm-hmm. to create in the digital space and build on things like Amazon Web Services, right? This is yeah. infrastructure that digital creators have, uh, have benefited from. I think now in Industry 4.0, we're we can create similar opportunities for anyone with a browser to get access to manufacturing knowledge and manufacturing capacity to make the things that they want. It is, um, it is something that's really exciting. And it goes back to your, your father's experience in being able, and my grandfather would be able to, to fix a car, to fix an engine, and um, to empower not only them, but, but everybody yeah. to, to be able to imagine things and, and bring them to the world. And so when I went to MIT, they have uh, something called a Leaders for Manufacturing Fellowship Program, where there were 40 uh, classmates that were there with a shared passion for driving innovation in the physical world and in industry. And it was a wonderful two years. And when I went there, the exact path out, I didn't know. But the, what, what I did know uh, was that I wanted to continue uh, my career in industry and in manufacturing. And, and I think uh, it goes back a little bit to, to my roots, but we always have conversations about the importance of making things. And uh, my dad would show me a part and he would say, let's talk about what this part is. And he said, well, it's a part for a transmission. Oh, great. Well, what does that transmission do? Well, that transmission powers a truck. Well, great. What does a truck do? Uh, and why is that important? Well, it's moving goods around the world. And what, what, 
what, what goods are we moving? We're, we're moving medical devices. We're moving communication devices. We're, we're moving toys. And well, what does that do for the world? Well, it's making the world more connected. It's making the world more healthy. Uh, we're feeding and powering the world with the things that we make. And so this notion that every part has a story and every part is improving the world in some way has the potential to do so, I think was just so inspiring to me. And so when I went to graduate school, it was continuing, uh, I think, along that, that threat of, of realizing the importance of manufacturing as an industry to improve the state of the world. And I wanted to contribute to that in some way. And at MIT, I found a place with like-minded uh, colleagues where we were able to, to explore all of that together for a couple of years. Yeah. And so then what did you do after that? Uh, I joined McKinsey and Company and uh, spent uh, the better part of, of uh, a decade there helping to build the manufacturing and, and what is now the Industry 4.0 practice at McKinsey. And it was a, a place where I was able to work with uh, senior executives and, and frontline manufacturing professionals uh, driving innovation and progress for manufacturing companies uh, in a, on a wonderful, wonderful next chapter in, in my career. Yeah. For our listeners who may not be aware of what Industry 4.0 is, can you give them the high-level explanation? Yeah. So Industry 4.0 refers to the suite of technologies that are now available to us to design, make, and move things differently. Uh, they include new tools of digital design and simulation using high-performance compute. Uh, new tools to make things, uh, next generation 3D printers, next generation uh, material handling and automation in factories. Uh, also next generation tools to, to measure equipment and metrology solutions, as well as the digitization of factories and supply chains and logistics. And so Industry 4.0 is this umbrella term that refers to the suite of innovations that are now uh, available to us uh, to embrace. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, because I know that's been thrown around. It's also a big part of Chicago's plan, right? It's one of the pillars of P33, and I know sometimes not everyone knows what it means. So thanks for explaining that. So McKinsey is such a great place to get exposed to big ideas and be able to do important work. I know that you did a lot while you were there. What was some of the most impactful work that you did? What are some of the things you're most proud of during the time you spent there? Uh, I think one, one of the pieces of work uh, was with McKinsey Global Institute. Uh, where we did a global research effort looking at the future of manufacturing and where it's going and what does it mean for how companies and countries are going to compete. Uh, it was through that work, I had the good fortune of working with public sector leaders, private sector leaders, entrepreneurs, and technologists uh, to explore that question. Where is this industry going and what is its potential for driving progress in the world? And, and for me, it was just a, a, a wonderful way of looking over the horizon a bit and, and then uh, identifying ways that these technologies can be embraced to drive real impact for companies and for the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also through that work that I ended up meeting a couple of my co-founders for Fast Radius. And, and uh, those are very special relationships that, uh, that ultimately helped to, to see the business we're now building. So not necessarily the things you're working on, but there's a lot in COVID that we're hearing about supply chains being completely broken. We just had the CEO of Levy and I guess chicken wings, especially at uh, University of Michigan, are nearly impossible to get. So it's like, you know, striking people's personal lives, but on an industry scale, what's going on with supply chain and how are you helping? Yeah, I, I think we start with uh, recognition that the infrastructure for how we design, make and move physical things today is broken. It is rigid, it's wasteful, and it is outdated. And there is a need for a new type of infrastructure. And that, that's what we're building at Fast Radius. 
and, and we view it as a new infrastructure for designing, making, and moving physical things in the digital age. And we call it cloud manufacturing platform. Uh, before we get into cloud manufacturing, which we'll talk about the, the problems we see today. And I think there's there, there are a few. I, first, uh, we have built an infrastructure where parts are made in centralized mega factories in far off corners of the world that are accessible if you're making tens of millions of iPhones, but inaccessible to most. And even when we're making these parts in these centralized mega factories around, around the world, uh, we're, we're then putting them in shipping containers and putting them uh, on boats and moving them uh, around the world in ways that are incredibly costly and carbon intensive. And we reflect on the Suez Canal debacle earlier this year right. and the backlog that we see at the ports uh, still today. But that's how we're moving things uh, in a, a very carbon intensive and, and, and efficient way. And then even when the parts get to where they're going, we have physical inventory where trillions of dollars of parts are just sitting on shelves collecting dust. And so you combine all of this and it creates for an infrastructure for making things that's very rigid, it's very wasteful, uh, it's not sustainable. And um, I think we're, we're feeling the pain of that uh, now, now every day. Right. Um, I think, it, however, we have seen through human history that we have built new infrastructure new ways for industry to contribute to driving progress in the world. And whether that was the first industrial revolution with the advent of the steam engine, uh, the advent of the assembly line a century ago, the, the advent of air travel, the, the electronics age where we were able to drive automation and, and, uh, uh, and so many improvements we've seen that industry has been able to bring in prior industrial revolutions to drive progress in the world. I think now in this fourth industrial revolution, we're at a point where we can make another giant step forward mm -hmm. and drive progress in the physical world like we've seen in those earlier industrial revolutions. And I think that's why there's so much excitement about Industry 4.0 broadly, what potential it brings. And so that leads us to Fast Radius. And I think we're, we're building a new type of infrastructure to design, make, and move physical things in the digital age. And as I said, we call it a cloud manufacturing platform. Uh, and it's very analogous to cloud computing. In cloud computing, you have data centers. Uh, we have factories, uh, our factories and a network of supply partners. Sitting on top of that physical infrastructure, we have software to orchestrate all of the workflow and operations in the factory and the supply chain. And then on top of that, we have an application and services layer driven by software where we and third parties can build apps and services powered by this underlying infrastructure. And that's cloud manufacturing in a nutshell. Yeah. So what's an example of a customer and how they're using it? And so the, the beauty of cloud manufacturing is there are so many things that can be built on it. And so we have served over 2,000 customers across just about every vertical uh, industry you can imagine, medical devices, aerospace, automotive, consumer products. Uh, and uh, we'll start with uh, a consumer product example that, that uh, many people are familiar with, and that is Rawlings. Mm -hmm. uh, we announced earlier this year how we helped them launch a product to market for baseball gloves, uniquely enabled, uniquely enabled by additive manufacturing or 3D printing. And uh, we created a complex lattice structure for uh, a cushion, a pad that goes in their new baseball glove, it provides durability and structure uh, and a better performing baseball glove using a new manufacturing technology and material. And so in this case, Rawlings came to us wanting to drive innovation in their product, uh, knew that through our cloud platform, we could produce and help them design and produce 
these components to go into the glove and, and uh, you know, reinventing a product that uh, we, all, we all know and love from America's pastime. Yeah. Is it a 3D, a 3D printed part? It is a 3D printed part that goes inside the baseball glove. That's really cool. Another example that I'll share is uh, for electric vehicles and the electrification of, uh, of products. We've worked with uh, Aptive and Ford. Uh, Aptive is an automotive uh, supplier uh, and Ford wanted to launch a low volume variant of a new truck into market. And, and we teamed up with Aptive and Ford to design an electrical connector that could be produced using a new material, a new technology through, uh, through the cloud platform. And uh, it allowed them to get to market faster and also allows them to manage their supply chain in a very elastic way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so month to month, we can flex up or down depending on the demand for the products. And it's one of the benefits of this new cloud manufacturing infrastructure is it is very elastic. It's flexible. Yeah. Uh, you can produce products when you need them in a way that companies like Aptiv or Ford uh, can, can benefit from, from every day. I think it goes back to the earlier comment about the pain we're seeing in supply chains today about the lack of flexibility right. in today's supply chains. Right. I think with this digital infrastructure, we have something that's much more elastic, much more flexible uh, that empowers companies to, to meet new needs in the market much more effectively. So you named two very different things. So are you industry agnostic? Are there some industries that you tend to do more of and are better at than others? Or could you literally work on anything? We have worked with companies across every industry vertical, and I think that speaks to the power of cloud manufacturing yeah. uh, as a platform uh, that you know, uh, it, it is designed to empower every engineer with a browser uh, yeah. to get access to new manufacturing technologies. And whether that is additive manufacturing or next generation CNC machining or injection molding, uh, uh, we view ourselves as a one-stop shop where we can provide uh, manufacturing infrastructure uh, through the cloud in, in a way that is relevant for anyone making a physical product. Yeah. Um, you had also shared a statistic with me earlier, because when you were talking about the large, you know, centralized mega factories, what percentage of component parts are manufactured in those kinds of settings versus other yeah, so the assembly of products is done in these kind of far off locations. But what's interesting is the, the component supply uh, is uh, driven by these very subscale shops. And so 90% of machining, for example, in the US is done by these subscale shops that may have 20 people, 30 people, 50 people. And uh, these are shops I grew up in and I love them. Uh, and uh, they, they have driven incredible impact in the prior century. Uh, but right now, it's a challenge to compete. Uh, they often lack the capital to invest yeah. in these new tools that are available, uh, lack the you know, expertise to embrace the new materials uh, that, that are available or new technologies. And uh, they don't have the front-end digital-driven software experience for engaging with customers uh, that also puts them at a disadvantage. And, and uh, it is... Uh, uh, one of, I think, the challenges for the manufacturing model and supply chain model today that uh, we need to evolve is how do we improve the component supply? And I think what we're doing at Fast Radius is creating an opportunity for, for these shops 
to, to partner with us and bring their manufacturing knowledge and know-how and be a part of the cloud platform with us. Yeah. Uh, and so there are paths forward for these shops to continue innovating and evolving and contributing. And we believe you know, platforms like ours can help, uh, but there's real urgency for the industry to, to advance. So what do you think is the biggest impact that Fast Radius is having? Yeah, our ambition is to empower the world to make what it needs when and where it needs it. Uh, that's our ambition. And we want to empower every engineer with a browser to be able to make and design what they need, when and where yeah. they need it. And we've seen that type of empowerment drive a transformation in the world. We look at cloud computing, we look at the digital platforms that have been created over the past couple of decades. Uh, we believe the impact of cloud manufacturing will be as profound in the physical world as cloud computing has been in the digital world. Yep. And so it is truly a, a, an empowering platform for innovation in the physical world. Um, and, and that really is what drives us. And, and so for us to do that, we have to get two things right. First is design. And we want to uh, codify a century's worth of manufacturing knowledge and make that accessible through software and empower any engineer with a browser to simply upload their part and have it evaluated and to get feedback on how best to design that part uh, and codifying that intelligence and in software. So that's the first piece. Uh, and then the second piece is, all right, once you have it designed, we want to empower everyone to make what they want, right? when and where they want it. And so that means we have to have this trusted industrial grade infrastructure, a network of factories, ours and our supply partners that are digitally orchestrated that can ensure industrial grade production. And so those are the two pieces Margaret, of what we are building, uh, all underneath kind of our, our ambition of empowering the world to design and make what it needs. Yeah, when and that's where incredible. It's needed. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Sure Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shure microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. So let's talk about factories because your factory, uh, your headquarters here in Chicago was named one of the world's nine most innovative factories in the world, which are also known as manufacturing lighthouses by the World Economic Forum. And from what I understand, yours is the only North American company that received this recognition. So tell us more about that. We know it's remarkable. What have you been doing? Yeah, we're really proud of the recognition from the World Economic Forum. That was a couple of years ago. And since that time, a couple more factories in the US have made it into the lighthouse network, but we're, we're proud of our early status there. And I think what World Economic Forum is, is working to do is, uh, while there's so much excitement about Industry 4.0 and the suite of technologies that are available, very few companies have figured out how to embrace them at scale. And so this Lighthouse Network is identifying companies like us who have figured that out. So mm -hmm. we can capture those lessons and share them with others. Uh, so companies like Siemens and Johnson & Johnson and Bosch also were Lighthouse recipients and uh, we're creating this community of manufacturing companies who are 
similarly inspired to advance the industry, share those lessons and, um, and help others improve. Yeah. And so I understand you embrace what's called a micro factory model. Can you explain what that is? Yes. So a micro factory, think of it like a state of the art factory that is designed to be copy and pasted into different locations around the world, creating a distributed physical footprint, all digitally connected with each node in the network uh, performing exactly as the original launch node. Uh, so think of it like a factory in a box with phys standard physical definition of how products move in a factory, the material flow as well as the digital orchestration, the people operating uh, the factory in a, a standard uh, micro factory blueprint. Uh, we have four micro factories today and our plan is to copy and paste these around the world, all digitally connected with each other. What that creates is a global manufacturing infrastructure uh, where we can digitally transmit parts and produce them where they're needed around uh -huh. the world. We, uh, we have partnered with UPS as we've been building the company over the years. And one of our micro factories is in the North American hub uh, for UPS in Louisville, kind of end of runway, allowing us to produce parts late into the evening and get them where they're needed the next day. But people will often say, well, why, why is UPS engaged with a manufacturing technology company? Well, when you step back and think about what this distributed micro factory network allows to happen, uh, we view it as a fourth modality of logistics. And so through human history, we have moved parts three ways, by ground, by air, and by sea. And now through cloud manufacturing, we, we can move parts a fourth way through the yeah. internet at the speed of light producing them proximate to where the parts are needed around the world. And we see this fourth modality of logistics as having an impact on how we move things in the world that is as profound as those earlier modes of transportation. Now we're in the early days of this work, but companies like Airbus uh, and, and so many others, where we have a virtual warehouse of parts that are certified yeah. where we store them digitally and produce them on demand when they're needed in a way that creates a much more efficient supply chain, a much more responsive supply chain. And uh, that, that speaks to one of the benefits of the micro factory model is unlocking this new mode of transportation for the world. Yeah, that's really incredible. And so um, for all these small manufacturers, what is the greatest potential that you've seen? Have you seen anyone be able to just completely transform their old school, you know, shop that their grandfather founded into something that really is state of the art and this on-demand printing? Have people been able to do that yet? Um, well, our customers have been able to tap into our manufacturing infrastructure to bring new products to the world much more quickly, embracing new technologies, uh, and allowing them to, to improve uh, their industry. An example of share is Curtis Motorcycle. They're making an electric vehicle, electric motorcycle, and they're bringing that to market. And, and uh, we, uh, we now have over a hundred parts in the bill of material across eight different manufacturing technologies that uh, uh, allows them uh, to focus on designing the bike, testing and validating the bike, uh, where we can provide an elastic uh, supply chain and manufacturing infrastructure for them. And we're seeing that across industries, Margaret, where companies are realizing that they can tap into this infrastructure to allow them to go faster, allow them to embrace new technologies, 
create more, more sustainable, scalable supply chains. And uh, um, so much to be excited about. Yeah. As more engineers know what's possible. Right. So let's talk a little bit about Chicago. So why did you choose to start your company in Chicago? Chicago has a wonderful history of driving innovation in the industry. Uh, and uh, when uh, uh, Chicago created the Digital Manufacturing and Design Innovation Institute, this is one of the national laboratories uh, for innovation and manufacturing that, that was created. It was a, f- a federal program to create these communities of uh, public companies, big and small, uh, of universities and researchers to come together to drive innovation in industry in the country. Uh, a couple of my co-founders and I met uh, as a part of that work. And so uh, I helped to write the proposal that, that brought the, the lab to Chicago and, and our uh, chief scientist, Bill King, was the founding CTO and, and, and really at the heart of building the national lab here. And John Nanry, uh, one of our co-founders, uh, worked worked on on this effort as well, and and so through through the work around the national lab, we spent a lot of time together, and and yeah. uh, also appreciated the strength of the industrial community around Chicago and and uh, the great network that it provides, and uh, it was a very logical choice for us as we reflected on on where we wanted to to plant the flag for the Fast Radius headquarters. Yeah. And shout out to our friend Chandra, who's now the current CEO of MXD. She's really incredible. And um, I think that's one of the best kept secrets in Chicago. I think we should have her on the podcast because I don't think everyone really knows what's going on over there and why it's so important. This national lab is now called MXD, Manufacturing yeah. Times Digital. And uh, Chandra and her team are doing wonderful work. Uh, it, it really is a, a center of gravity for innovation in digital manufacturing and design for the country yeah, uh, and uh, a great set of things that are happening there. And it, it's a part of our origin story at Fast Radius too. And so always, always proud um, of the work that's happening there. So what does Chicago need to be doing in the next five to 10 years? I mean, I know that we had this leading edge. There is a lot of competition right? So if we want to maintain our status as being one of the leading, most innovative hubs for manufacturing, we can't rest on our laurels. So what do we need to be doing next? I, I think there are a few things. I think there's industry-specific investments and, and, and then more you know, broad investments for, for the city we might talk about. I think for industry-specific, I, I think continuing to foster Chicago as a place where these new technologies can can thrive, and there's talent and and uh, a workforce that is excited and capable and and uh, easy to get um, access and to be aware of the great work that's happening on in, in, in this space. And I think there's been real progress there over the last couple of years, and more to be done. Yeah. Uh, and the great work that you're doing here, Margaret, is building awareness of of, of uh, new and exciting companies that are being built, and is uh, is a part of that. Uh, and I think the work happening at, at places like MXD as well as MHub is uh, mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful organization that's, that has been created to provide tools and, and infrastructure for physical product entrepreneurs where they yeah. can get off the ground and get access to, to the tools and infrastructure and support to, to do that. And more of that uh, will, will help. And there's wonderful examples of, of progress there. There's, there's more we can do. I think what's happening at 1871 is also a great example of 
entrepreneurial infrastructure around the city that continues to provide real contributions and to innovate and how it's creating more of a global community um, as well. So more of that will help. I think celebrating the examples and driving awareness of, of those points of progress. I think with regard to the city itself, I, I think there's so many assets here that we get excited about the university ecosystem, the access to talent, the quality of life. So many things about Chicago are just, I know. just wonderful. Uh, at the same time, we have our challenges, uh, the economic health and, and then the safety and security of, of uh, what's happening in the city. We, we need to do more there. Um, it is a source of real concern. And I think business leaders in Chicago uh, are, are all mindful of that. Those are critical issues we need to make progress on soon. I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that uh, we'll be able to do so. Yeah. I also am really encouraged. I love what's going on with the uh, city colleges and CPS and the Chicago Apprentice Network so that we are now creating these pathways for underserved communities to be able to get good jobs, you know, not crap jobs like what we're seeing in the great resignation because no one wants to go back to those jobs, but actually good jobs with career paths without having to go pay for a four-year tuition at, you know, MIT or out of state at University of Michigan or something like that. Um, and I'm just so encouraged by it. And that's another story that I think people don't really understand how much great is happening in the city and the way that we're trying to create those pathways. Is your industry a potential pathway for that? Can someone come out of a two-year, uh, an associate's degree at a city college and get a job in advanced manufacturing? Absolutely. And I think that's what's so exciting as we think about this new industrial revolution. Uh, there are pathways for yeah. those types of roles as technicians working in state-of-the-art factories and yeah. learning how to program these machines and learning about new inspection technologies. And that provides a pathway to additional progress as they, they learn more technologies. And, others. and, and I, these are new skills. Right. Uh, and people who are excited about them can step in from that pathway and continue learning and growing and being at the cutting edge and creating attractive economic pathways. And, right. and as we've seen the manufacturing industry do before and in incredibly significant ways, we look to the prior generations in our country and we think this fourth industrial revolution can provide a similar type of economic development opportunity. And, and we're seeing that at Fast Radius and I, I'm more excited about that. Uh, for, for the job opportunities that it creates um, at the front lines of our factories and, and how people are advancing from there into other roles. Some folks uh, evolving from the work in, in one factory into another technology or right. into quality or into supplier management, or uh, some are coming over into the software because they're bringing their domain knowledge about how to make things and then actually contributing to the software development work going on. So there's a really exciting set of new pathways available at all levels. I, at the same time, we're also incredibly excited about uh, the you know, computational scientists that are bringing right. uh, new ways of thinking about uh, intelligence for digital design and intelligence for digital manufacturing. And, and so right. uh, it's really across the job type uh, spectrum where right. there are opportunities here. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting, a, a, a lot of um, our team members. So as we think about our, our profile, about a third of our company are software developers and technology uh, technologists and, and, and engineers. 
Um, a, a third are uh, commercial and administrative and, and, and support resources. And then a third are making things and, and managing our supply chain and managing our factories and operating our factories. So it's this cross-section of, of technology and commercial and, and manufacturing that all come together. And it creates just a wonderful collection of people with diverse yeah. backgrounds and experiences uh, uh, creating this, this new way of, of working in the industry and, and the cloud manufacturing platform. And it is. It's really them. exciting. I know. And you're, uh, you could tell how excited you are about it and being at the forefront. And I think it's just incredible. It's exactly what we need in our economy, creating this whole range of good jobs, you know, for people with a variety of skill sets and backgrounds, not just um, PhDs in quantum computing from University of Chicago or University of Illinois or something. Yeah, it's fun, Margaret. You know, there, there's something incredibly exciting uh, as we meet new candidates exploring our next professional chapter where they get to uh, to know us. And and some people liken what we're building to Tony Stark's Jarvis. Oh, yeah. And there's this idea <laughs> that, that everyone can have this digital assistant to provide guidance on how to design a part and then a state-of-the-art factory to make that part. It yeah. is you know, providing superpowers to every engineer with a browser. Yeah. And engineers can ask questions. Can this part be manufactured using this material or technology? How does it compare to this alternate material? What's the carbon footprint impact of making this? How long will it take to make them? These are the kinds of questions that we can answer through our software. And um, it's like giving every engineer one of Tony Stark's labs as their, their toolkit. Um, and it's not just for prototyping, but it's for production. And, and so when we think about that and connect it to uh, you know, the conversation in the world today, about there's so many things we want to build, so many things that we want to contribute to improve the state of the world. Uh, and uh, these types of things are now possible. And, and so we get excited as candidates come and get acquainted with us because it, they get inspired by yeah. what's possible and being a part of that, whatever their background whether they come from manufacturing or not, people are excited about contributing to driving progress in the physical world and all that it means. Very cool. So I know you have some potential big things on the horizon. So what what do you see? What's next in the next year or two? Uh, we will be entering the public markets through uh, here over the course of the next few months. And we're excited about that transition. That's an opportunity for us to really continue building out this infrastructure uh, the suite of software tools, as well as our manufacturing infrastructure uh, to empower the world with a better infrastructure for designing, making, and moving physical things. And, and I yeah. think we're really excited about that next step in our journey. But we're still in the early days, Margaret. There is so much that we want to build uh, uh, as we look out over the next couple of decades for how this industry is going to evolve and for the impact it can have in the world. But this is a really exciting uh, next step in the journey. Uh, yeah. Just uh, coming up here soon. I won't ask you any more questions about that because I'm sure there's not much you can talk about, but we will be staying tuned. And um, who knows, by the time someone's listening to this, they may have all of the answers to that. <laughs> so Lou, we've been talking a lot about the advancements in terms of on-time manufacturing and, and how cool this is and what this means for you know engineers and designers and be able to have the most innovative part on demand. But there's also a pretty big global environmental impact to all of this. Can you talk to us a little more about that? We think the carbon footprint impact is, is 
very meaningful. And I think it comes from uh, a few sources. I think first, uh, we can digitally ship parts instead of physically shipping them. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, instead of physically storing parts and having them uh, uh, you know, go obsolete and putting them in a landfill, we can digitally store parts. And, and then third, we, we can help engineers upfront make better decisions about how to design their parts to have a lower carbon footprint impact. And so it's really across the life cycle where cloud manufacturing and these new tools that are available can, can drive a much uh, more sustainable and, and carbon friendly uh, or earth friendly model of manufacturing. I read a statistic somewhere, I'm sure I'm going to botch it, but it's something like um, a single shipping container uses up the same amount or has the same amount of environmental impact as 10,000 cars. I think it's something like that. I'll have to go back and refine it, but it's something extraordinary. It is extraordinary. And so if you think of the opportunity to produce parts locally to where they're needed, to store them only, store them digitally until the physical object is needed. Um, it, it has um, a really significant impact. Uh, and I, that, that's uh, one of the reasons we're so excited about, about the power of this new infrastructure uh, to improve this industry. Yeah. I think it, um, one other thing that, that I would note is if we step back and think about the benefits of this new infrastructure uh, over what we've built over the prior century, um, we, we think about going from one infrastructure model that is rigid, wasteful, and outdated to one that is flexible, sustainable, and accessible to everyone. And yeah. we go from these centralized mega factories to local micro factories. We go from shipping parts and shipping containers on boats all around the world in a very carbon intensive way to shipping parts through the internet at the speed of light. We go from physical storage to digital storage all while making state-of-the-art manufacturing infrastructure and tools available to everybody. Uh, and uh, uh, it gives us just such such a cause for excitement yeah. uh, when we think about impact as it scales. I know. And what's so exciting about it is it's a benefit for all, right? That this will be equally accessible to all types of manufacturers from small to medium to, you know, huge global. This isn't just something that's for the big companies. That's right. It is empowering anyone with a browser to get access to these uh, these tools and, and the infrastructure to bring innovations to the physical world. Is your dad using Fast Radius? Uh, he's a, our biggest fan. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful really for great. that. You did do some incredible things for early COVID pandemic response with your capabilities to do, you know, rapid printing. Can you remind everyone what you did? When COVID hit, we had a shortage, as everyone will recall, of critical components to right. the needs of the health response. And so uh, many companies came to us to, to help design and fabricate products, uh, whether they were parts for uh, ventilators or we uh, produced a few hundred thousand uh, FDA approved nasal swabs. When there was a testing shortage uh, last summer, uh, a coalition of companies came together in the industry and designed and had the FDA approve um, 3D printed swabs that could be used for testing uh, until the traditional swab manufacturing could ramp up to meet demand. There's so many examples yeah. 
of uh, how companies embrace the cloud manufacturing platform to help elastically scale up and quickly scale up yeah. on new products. And uh, something our team is really proud of and able to help contribute to. And I think a testament to how industry came together uh, to, uh, to move quickly and to bring every resource that the industry had available to help. And I, I think there were points of great progress there. At the same time, it really shined a light on how inadequate our infrastructure is today to respond to these types of crises and that we need to build better. We need to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the examples of uh, what is now possible is this notion of a digital strategic stockpile. And so instead of only having a physical stockpile, we can also have a digital stockpile of certified parts that can be hyper scaled in production if and when there is a crisis and a need for those devices to be made. And so it's interesting, you know, pre-pandemic, we, we didn't have nasal swabs as an example right. in the virtual warehouse. Right, right. But now we do. Not something you thought you were so, going to be innovating with. Uh, but, but now if we reflect on, let's fast forward five years out, 10 years out, 20 years out, imagine what this virtual warehouse will hold. Imagine. And then you marry that with a distributed infrastructure around the world to be able to produce products in crisis to support what the world needs, where it is needed. Yeah. This is what future supply chains will look like. And this is what we're building towards. Is it going to happen overnight? No. But boy, when we look over the arc, 10 years out, 20 years out, no, there's no doubt the impact is significant. That, that for us, I think really, that's been at the foundation of our vision for Fast Radius when we started uh, four and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, I think uh, now others are also seeing the opportunity and the need for that type of new infrastructure. How far out are we? Well, what's beautiful, Margaret, it's happening today. I think it's happening today for, for companies that are making cars and medical devices and planes, and it is happening. Um, it's a matter of awareness and adoption. And so it's similar to cloud computing, uh, where it doesn't happen overnight, but uh Every day, we have new customers that are coming on board and embracing this. And we also have companies that are reimagining their supply chains where they've approached us and asked us if we can build them a custom micro factory yeah. uh, to meet the needs of their business, to provide elasticity and flexibility and still a digital orchestration and state-of-the-art tools. And, and um, uh, so I think as companies become more aware, similar to cloud computing and uh, we will see uh, just incredible growth. Um, I, I also think if we reflect on the size of this industry, it's a you know, $700 billion industry for making component parts, just to yeah. give you a sense. It's a massive part of the global economy. And uh, it's not, uh, uh, we don't have to look too far because it's happening right now. Right. Did your company grow differently these last 18 months because of the imperatives of COVID? Are you in a different place than you thought you would be at this point in time? I think we grew in a very steady and accelerated march uh, over the last couple of years. Um, And um, I think in different ways, uh, as we saw some of our customers in COVID furlough their engineering teams or shut down their factories, 
Yeah. I was offset by other customers who needed to scale up production. Right. And so the nature we were able to, to flex our resources. I, I think what it has done though, is it has helped build awareness both about the urgent need for more flexible supply chain and manufacturing models, and also the willingness to, to step forward and adopt. And that, that certainly is helpful. Yeah. So the last thing we like to do is do a little bit of a quick get to know you uh, because that's what people love about the podcast that we actually get to meet the CEOs, you know, more than just hearing about their businesses and everything that we learn about them, about their education and background and what they're doing with their companies. It's great to know you as a person too. So I have, I don't know, maybe like 10 quick questions. Can All we right. do those? Okay. Okay. We'll go really quick. Don't overthink them too much. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. The one app on your phone that you can't live without? Family chat. Your favorite tech tool? Right now, Zoom, because it's connected us in this digital uh, distributed world. I know. It's really incredible. We've come a long way. <laughs> Beach or mountains? Beach. First thing you do when you wake up? Say good morning to my wife and kids. What is on your nightstand? Uh, pictures of my family. What did you learn about yourself during COVID? How very lucky I am uh, to uh, be in a position in, in life with my wife, Sarah, and, and our three kids and our extended family, uh, where there is a, a strong unit that could navigate a storm together in a way that I look back on with real pride. And to have a company in Fast Radius that was able to contribute uh, to the pandemic response and um, uh, to continue building something special for the world, uh, a real sense of gratitude. Well, thank you for everything you're doing. We are going to be watching your company closely. It's really exciting, transforming the world in so many ways, having such a big global impact on society, on people and on the environment and on the economy and solving people's problems and just really, really incredible. And thank you for growing your company here in Chicago. Thank you for uh, the time today and for all that you do uh, to build awareness in our community of all the great things that are happening. I appreciate it. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.